0: Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Well, we're at the end of the liturgical year, and in the last few Sundays for the liturgical year, we're going through the three parables in Matthew 25. And they're all about the final exam. How do you prepare for those final things of death, judgment, heaven, and hell? And so, in Matthew 25, the three parables are from last week. Was the uh, five wise and the five foolish virgins were either prepared or not prepared for the coming of the bridegroom? This week, it's about the talents that have been left us by a man who gave us this great wealth and then took off on a long journey, but he'll be coming back. And then next week, it'll be about the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. So this is a good time to take an assessment as we're coming to the end of the year. Where are we on preparing for our final examination with God? Stay tuned for more from Oro Valley Catholic. A very simple takeaway from the gospel today about a man who leaves these talents, these, this vast wealth to these three men, is that he expects an accounting for the wealth that he has given us. That the Lord is coming back and it's a final exam or he's doing an audit or call it the final judgment. It's uh, when truth comes down and we look at the gifts God has given us and what we've done and what we have failed to do. St. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, For by the grace given to me, I bid every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in his liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, and he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's the talents that God has given us? And it's something to consider as we consider the role of the gospel today in Matthew chapter 25. So to remind you of the readings from last week, it was the story of the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come. So in the first century, the bridal customs that Jesus is referring to is that period between when a husband and wife go through the marriage ceremony and then begin to live together to raise their family and pursue their life together before that we think of it as the engagement or the period of promise um, but it was the betrothal in jesus day so as part of the betrothal the husband uh, continued to live with his family the wife continued the, the fiance continued to live with her family so in the parable, the setting is that the 10 virgins are waiting for the bridegroom to come from his mom and dad's house and claim his bride at her parents' house and then lead her and everybody else to the wedding feast. So in, the, in all the gospel, Jesus is the bridegroom. The bride's the church. And so the wise and foolish virgins, because you remember last week, five of them were ready for the bridegroom to come. They had oil in their lamps Five were not ready, they were foolish, and they didn't have oil in their lamps. And so only the wise ones could follow the bridegroom back to the wedding feast, the messianic banquet. And so this all comes out of the Old Testament, where God's ancient promise that he would join himself to his chosen people. Uh, And so for you and I, who are hopefully going to be amongst the wise virgins, We were betrothed in baptism, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Ephesians chapter 5. And because of our baptism, we're called to lives of holiness, lives of integration, that our faith, our moral life, our business life, our family life, our friendships, our exercise, everything that we do is integrated into this one holistic reality that's rooted in the presence of God in our life. And so when Jesus ends that parable and says, stay awake for you know not the day or the hour, it's exactly how chapter 24 ended where Jesus was warning the Jerusalemites and his apostles of the impending doom waiting for the temple and the people of Jerusalem. So don't hit the snooze button. But of course, I think we already know that if you turn the page and you're in the Passion, when the uh, temple guards with Judas show up to arrest Jesus, uh, the apostles are snoozing quite peacefully in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the things that makes the Gospel so realistic and so believable is that the people who are telling you the story are telling you the story of their own failings. They're not telling you how great everything they did was. Um, No, it's about the goodness of God and how they did not deserve God's goodness. So this story of the bridegroom is a story of God coming to claim his people. But if you just follow the metaphor through, uh, hopefully the bridegroom has chosen the bride because he loves her deeply and he wants to provide for her and he wants to care for her. And so Jesus and his father are telling us something about God's intentionality for us. And so this is the lead up to the story for this Sunday, the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. And I think that I wanted to talk about last week, because if you disconnect last week's story of these, uh, these virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come and claim his bride, then you never really understand what the first reading is for this Sunday, the 33rd 33rd week. And so the first reading on Sunday is gonna be from Proverbs 31, and here's what it says. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. Her husband, entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good and not evil all the days of her life she obtains wool and flax and works with loving hands she puts her hands to the distaff and her fingers to ply the spindle she reaches out her hands to the poor and extends her arms to the needy charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting the woman who fears the lord is to be praised give her a reward for her labors and let her works praise her at the city gates now, dads, moms, there is something to entrust to your sons and daughters about how to prepare for marriage. Uh, have something that actually makes you useful in the wedding. Um, have a way that you can support yourself. If the husband dies, don't you want to be able, your daughters to be able to have good employment where they can provide for their kids and themselves, that they can be uh, adults that uh, can have their own life, their own intentionality? and be a support to others? Don't you want them to be caring for the community, or as it says, uh, reaching out their arms to the poor? And then the idea that we all are attracted to attractive persons. Um, But this reading from Proverbs 31 puts how we think of ourselves as attractive or others as attractive into the right context. And it says, charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. Uh, It's character that remains. And that's also picked up in Psalm 128 um, for this uh, 33rd Sunday, before we actually get to the Gospel. And it says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways, for He shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Blessed are you in the like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home. Your children, Are like an olive plant around your table. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Your wife like a fruitful vine. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And so, yeah, guys, this is a really great great idea about who you should want to marry. But what's really being talked about is how the church prepares herself for the bridegroom. And so, um this time that we have uh, to prepare for Jesus's coming. Let's think about ourselves as a bride preparing herself for the bridegroom. And uh, what's that look like? And that's what the gospel is about here for the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. So welcome back. And so we're in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And this really should be called the parable of the investment banker because this man invests in these uh, uh, fellows, and they're supposed to return on the investment. And remember, you know not the day or the hour according to the parable that happens that's told just before this one is told. So let's turn now to the parable of the investment banker or how a bride prepares for the bridegroom. This is the reading. Jesus told his disciples this parable a man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. So after a long time, the master of these servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've made you five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant, since you are faithful in small matters. I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant, and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the banks so that I could have got it back with my interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just walk through that. Um, talents. Now, here's the thing. We think of talents as, you know, the ability to do mathematics or to speak or, uh, or skilled with our hands. We've made talents something very personal. But the word talent from the Greek really refers to an item of wealth in the ancient world. It's like when we say somebody's a millionaire. Um, well, you know they have $1 million or more, whatever it is, that's the. It's probably not worth the same thing as now a billionaire. But a millionaire is a person with vast wealth. Just work with me on that. So when you said in the first century that someone was very talented, What you mean is they had a lot of gold because a talent is a weight in gold. We'll just call it a million bucks. What happens in Christianity is this story goes from just having a lot of money to just having a lot of abilities and gifts. And so we've changed talents from something that we possess, like we possess a talent of gold, uh, to something that's this personal attribute. Um, But the parable works either way, really, because it's about taking what we have been given and then showing return on it. Um, But the second thing I want to say about it is this. So you have three people who've been given unequal talents. One's been given five, one's been given two, and one's been given one talent. Now, the thing about it is this, relative to each other, Uh, the master has been unfair. They don't all get the same. But intrinsically, every talent is a vast fortune. So just because you don't have five talents, you only have one, you still have more than you can spend in a lifetime. And so the idea of being jealous over relative wealth, um, that uh, you're not Uh, Mozart if you're a musician or if you're not Elon Musk if you're a business person Um, you're not racehorse Haynes if you're a lawyer whatever the the relative disparity in wealth is it is only relative because the gift of the talent is in itself an intrinsic uh, uh, fortune and so being a human being no matter where we are in human beings, there is just a gift to being a human being. And so it is one way of looking at disparity. Um, How you would think about all this when you think, gosh, how some people just grow up in families that are just so hard. Um, Well, not given as much as someone who's grown up in a family like mine, which was a very loving family with parents. And so uh, still, no matter where you are in life, Uh, You're capable of showing some return, and so it is a very hopeful uh, parable um, that just says, you know, uh, from what to whom much is given, much is expected, Um, and so it it really it's everybody has a burden here. Either you didn't get really a lot in life, or you got a lot in life, and you're expected to kind of return on it. This is at the heart of um, this this message. Now, there's something I also want to talk about, about this uh, gospel. So contrast how the master talks to the two and, and says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you are faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come and share your master's joy. And so it's more than, Hey, okay, I'm going to flip you back 10%. It's that you participate in the joy of the person who gave you those talents. Now just take that for a minute and contrast it to the one servant who does not come out of this very well. Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest in my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there'll be wailing and grinding of teeth. And so the two who recognized their wealth, even if it was more than they could spend, they still did something to give a return. But the other Think about his attitude towards the master. Um, He's a wicked master. He's taking advantage of me. Um, You know, uh, he, he sets up these rules. You can think of God like that and just be resentful to God. And all you have to do is listen to the larger culture where there are people who just resent the fact of God and that there's these rules. I think it's true to say, that for some people, uh, kindergarten has too many rules. Um, And so it is not just the poor who talk like this. I don't think you actually hear this conversation uh, amongst the very poor. Uh, You hear this kind of uh, resentment against people who, from people, who actually have great gifts in life. You can hear this resentment from people with college educations. What basis do they have for resentment? Um, But anyway, you draw your own conclusions about that. But uh, so much of the investment strategy of these three servants has to do with how they think about the master who has given them talents. Is this someone who I really need to work for and show them what I can do? Or um, does everybody in the world owe me? I think it's a great parable. Um, Why does this wicked servant feel this way? Well, the gospel talks about it. Do you remember where uh, Jesus says "Do not be afraid and uh, see the lilies of the field? He said in another place, uh, they neither sow nor gather, but none are arrayed like him. The birds of the air uh, all have a nest that God provides. He may not provide in the standard to which we'd like to become accustomed always, um, but that he provides and He should provide through the people. What is the fear of anxiety? What if you're just overly anxious about all those things in life, which could just be material wealth, or it could be emotional stability, it could be relationships. What if you just worry about all of those things all the time? Well, uh, people who do that are fatherless. They don't believe anybody's going to take care of them just on their own. That's the problem, I think, of uh, real atheism or real nihilism, which is the idea that nothing means anything. Life has no meaning. Then all you really have is the grimness left over. There's no point to it all. And so um, what's the anxious for, what's the response to fear? Well, this is why faith is important, um, that we trust Um, that this world is passing, our troubles are passing, good times will not stay forever, uh, hard times will not last forever, um, and that we're in the the love and care of God. And I can think um, for some people, you can look out and think, gosh, that would be a tough one. But those are mostly the people who actually do rely on God and hope for it. I think the people that uh, feel the most a resentment towards God or the haves, not the have-nots. But I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. So at the heart of all of this, when you look at these men and these three servants and their response to the master, it's really about uh, whether you can trust and who you put your trust in. Um, And so the idea of doing what you can with what you have uh, to show some return on the beauty of the gospel, do you remember the story uh, from last week I was talking about at the beginning of the, of the, um, of the uh, podcast? And it was about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. You know, Saint Augustine looked at that story, and uh, he kind of drew an interesting conclusion out of it. And I'd like to share that with you in the in the conclusion of this episode of Oro Valley Catholic. So stay tuned. So what's the key difference in how um, these three servants look at the master? Uh, Because two of them uh, respond to what's been given them, a vast treasure, and uh, respond like, you know, good investments, they return. The third is given a vast treasure, treasure. It's just relative to the others. Uh, It's less. Um, And how can that be reflected in your own meditation, in your own life, as to whether you have more or less than other people? Um, And so that's going to reflect somehow, be reflected somehow, in how you see God. Is God fair? Is God unfair? And how is it that I respond to God? Is he a father that loves me and this is how love is expressed in my relationship with God. Or is it a father that is an absentee father and just ignores me and I'm left with nothing? Because God is who God is, regardless what you and I believe. Um, this is pretty much true about the world outside of us. It is just what it is, irregardless of what I believe. So how is it that I look out into the world and see clearly and understand and then respond rationally and in faith. And this is what St. Augustine talks about. So when St. Augustine looked at last week's parable about the ten virgins, he asked the question, because he is such a rational guy, he says, so why is it five virgins? Why wouldn't it have been like there was a wise virgin and a foolish virgin, just like there was a man who built his house on sand and a man who built his house on rock? Wouldn't it have been easier to just tell that story? But our Lord chose five virgins wise, five virgins foolish. And Here's what Augustine says. What it's referring to is our five senses. Our eyesight, our hearing, our sense of smell, our sense of taste, and our touch. Because even the ancients understood that this was the basic way that we received information about God's world, the world that we lived in. And so the idea in Augustine's point, his homily, was purifying our senses, not allowing our senses to be overrun by uh, foolish sins, avarice, lust, um, sloth, gluttony, uh, anger or wrath, depending on how you want to look at it, envy or jealousy, depending on how you express it, and pride. He said because those are the things that can corrupt the information we get from our five senses. So how important it is that we practice custody of the eyes. How important it is that we don't let bad things into our ears, but we let good things into our uh, our sense of hearing. So like the word of God so that our, our hearts can be lifted up, um, that we don't engage in gluttony with our, with our mouth, or we don't, Scripture talks about the she-camel uh, uh, snuffling after every possible suitor, uh, which is a, a metaphor, again, in Scripture, um, but, or our sense of touch, that we keep our hands to ourselves, right? Um, all of this senses, the way that we get information, is we should try to understand the world outside us as it is as a material reality. And then, as we look at the qualities that come to us from the outside world, that it helps us put into the right perspective the physicality of of the world that we live in. On the other hand, if you don't discipline your senses and you become a slave to pleasure, according to Augustine and, I think, uh, human experience, uh, it really undermines your your capacity uh, for happiness. And so when God gives us the moral law, it's not uh, the rules of a harsh and demanding man. Remember, this is how the one unwise servant thinks about God, that when he gives us our gift of our senses, he gives us the moral law, He's giving us the gift of ourself. And we have to learn to grow into that and manage that so that we can live in this world and share the joy he has in making of this world. Um, And so next week what's going to happen is we're going to move from the story of the ten virgins and the story of the man who the the investment banker who leaves all the talents with these three men. And we're going to go into the story of how it is that we learn how to love, starting with just loving people that uh, you know uh, aren't exactly a fantasy come true, uh, loving most of the people we meet in our lives. And so next week, we'll talk about the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy because that's the end of chapter 25 where Jesus says, you saw me in prison and you visited me. You saw me thirsty and you gave me drink. You saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you clothed me. And so how it is that we respond to others' bodily needs or the corporal works of mercy, as in corpus, and how we respond to spiritual needs. That's why they're called the spiritual works of mercy. Um, taking care of everybody else's mental health. Uh, supporting people who need affirmation. Counseling the doubtful. Uh, participating in expressing the beauty of being a Christian because um, it is a life changer in how you think about the world that you live in. Our mistake, I think, as a human being is that I got what I need and so I really don't have to do anything else with it. It's when you say, well, I would never have an abortion, but I'm not going to tell other people that abortion is a bad thing. Or I'm Never gonna use pornography, but I'll never criticize anybody else's use of pornography. Uh, I, and just go through whatever the list is, that somehow you can live your reality just in this little cocoon of your life, and everybody else can just lump it because you're not gonna tell anybody else what to do. Well, uh, here's what I would say about the whole thing about the talents you've been given. you. Um, is this something that do you take joy in and would share the joy of it. Or are you, like others, looking at this um, mean, wicked owner as just looking for you to to break a rule so he can whack you, Um, and you'll let you and everybody else take their chances? Here's what I love about the story of the talents. It's this. Come and share your master's joy. I will give you great responsibilities. For the first time, you actually get the gift of yourself. And you get the joy of being yourself in your life and the life of others. Because that's what we're made for. And that's what integrity is. That's what holiness is. That's what we're being prepared for. So, God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Oral Valley Catholic. The final exam's coming, my friends. So, don't hit the snooze button. Stay awake. See you next week.